You're listening to Flipping Tables on Sunrise Robot. Find out how you can support us at sunriserobot.net slash support. Listening to Flipping Tables, episode number 66, Order 66. I'm one of your hosts, David Lyons. And I'm Michael Edwards, the other host. I promised myself I was going to bring that up again. So there. Yeah. Episode achieved. Yeah. Order 66 was the Jedi's being killed. Yeah. In the uh, absolutely terrible uh, Star Wars prequels, the, uh, the Emperor shows up. And they, they showed like every possible communication method that exists in, in the, the future empire where it's like a little hologram, it's on a screen, it's like in a guy's audio set, but like he can't see anything. And every time it's just, you know, execute order 66. There's like it's an the, email and then like, <laughs> yeah, guy gets it on his Apple watch. Facebook notification. <laughs> Yeah, but nobody ever checks those. So that, <laughs> that one Jedi survived. That was the guy who was supposed to kill Yoda. Right. And check Dagobah. <laughs> <laughs> no, they just, they were driving by and they were like, eh, nobody lived down there. <laughs> so I have this thing that I just wanted to, to mention to you because I think you've done a lot more PC gaming than I have. And uh, basically, I've always been curious about the mod community. Like, that's the one thing PCs have over consoles, no question, right? Like, yeah. Is there any, unless you kind of game genie, I don't think you can really do a lot of modding on consoles. Pretty much no. Yeah. And lately, I've been coming across, like, every week, I see another hilarious GTA 5 mod. And then looking back, I realized, like, every week I used to see an amazing Skyrim mod. And there's just, like, these brilliant like modelers and like physics engine, you know, tinkerers, like they're doing all kinds of crazy stuff. So this one, uh, this made me realize this, this GTA five mod that we linked to in the show notes. It, it made me realize that my whole like modding community involvement is just being glad that there's a modding community. Like, <laughs> like I don't, I don't want to make mods. I don't want to buy games so that I can install mods. Like I just want to enjoy other people's mods. Cause then it's kind of like when a good friend refers a book to you, like you didn't have to go out and find it. Like you just know you're probably going to really like that book. So this one, uh, I think I originally found this on, on dorkly actually it's, this guy had two mods turned on. One of them gave the game moon physics. So everything is like slow and floaty and kind of bouncy. And then the other one is called Carmageddon. And it just randomly spawns these ultra fast moving cars that crash into you. Like they're, the cars are trying to kill you. So like they just spawn and they're on fire and then they crash into you at like a billion miles an hour and that then sends the character like rocketing through space and floating all slow. And of course the person who made this video only showed the best of the best, but then to make it even more ridiculous, he synced it up to like ballet music. So it's all very like spacey floaty, but then like a Camaro comes flying out of nowhere. And apparently these cars are not limited to the normal laws of physics because some of them like shoot up the sides of buildings to chase down the character. 
it's it's so i'm I'm watching the moon the moon <laughs> physics one and so this is, of course he's in an astronaut like spacesuit of course and uh so like this car hits him and he goes flying like a hundred couple hundred feet in the air and then very slowly like the longest like floaty drop down and then he like lands on his back and then the character animation getting up is kind of like, you know, you got tackled in football. It's like, all right, now time for the next play. Like, it's really like calm, like, all right, I guess I'll get up. Yeah, there must be some kind of like God mode or th- he's in like a sandbox mode or something. Because I'm sure each one of these flaming collisions would normally take your well, life. Well, now he's just rotating in space, firing an Uzi because <laughs> a car hit him. Yeah, there was one other good mod that I liked the the mod itself but i refuse to link to it because the guy who made it who's got to be like a 14 year old teenage boy he shamelessly made the the player character which remember gta 5 is in like a third person view so he just shamelessly made the player character into this like half naked woman it's just like you know come on (laughs) just grow the hell up but he did another thing that was an awesome thing, which is he made a gun that fires cars. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that's kind of, I kind of want to put that guy and the guy who did this one, like into the same universe and like let their car mods fight each other. But this is like, so you, you PC game a lot more than me. Do you, have you gotten into modding at all? Like, do you download mods? Have you ever made any? Uh, I don't create any maps or mods. I, I remember edit like, you know, it felt like hacking when I was 12 or whatever, but, uh, there was a, a map editor for, uh, I keep wanting to call it Wolf and I, but it's <laughs> Wolfenstein. Um, and I, I say Wolf and I because I, I had, you could actually import your own texture maps. And so I used screenshots from Goldeneye and actually made them wall textures. And I was trying to recreate levels from Goldeneye in, you know, there's no up or down in Wolfenstein, but. So you, you came know. close to, to being part of the modder community. <laughs> yeah. You dabbled. And yeah, it was me and my, my friend Josiah growing up with, and, uh, just, yeah, I think you could change the gun, the way the guns look too. So like, you know, there had to be a KF seven Soviet and whatever other Goldeneye weapons there were. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, so Wolfenstein was pre-Doom, right? By like at yeah. least a couple of years. Yeah, it was. Because Doom, like there was stairs and stuff and there was none of that in Wolfenstein. Yeah, although I will, one thing about Doom that I've noticed uh, if I ever see like a, a goofy video um, now is the uh, when you fired a gun, it actually fired in like a vertical plane. So... Yeah. It didn't matter if if you were pointed straight at a monster, regardless of how high or low they yeah. were, you would hit them. <laughs> really weird. And, and I don't remember noticing that as, you know, like a 12-year-old. But now I'm like, wait, the gun wasn't pointed anywhere at that horse demon thing. Yeah, there wasn't really a mouse look. Like, first-person shooters were still keyboard-driven for most people. Or you had, like, a joystick or a gamepad, I guess. Yeah, I guess I didn't even think about that. I was just thinking it, it was a limitation of the engine, but it's also a limitation of the interface because doing uh, doing up and down and side to side and movement all with keys would be uh, really awful. <laughs> just just yeah. really, really awful. Well, and anytime I play some super old games that were before Mouse Look was like, probably I would say Quake is when Mouse Look was finally like solidified as like a thing. 
And I'm sure there's uh, a few games before that, but yeah, I remember being okay with the quality of it in uh, in Jedi Outcast, but then well, that the one was lag definitely w- later. Or do you mean the first Jedi Knight? Wasn't Jedi Outcast the second one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, that was definitely a little bit later, but that was like that was one of the few fir- you know third person pseudo shooter style games I really played and with the lag online and then with the giant sweeping strokes of the lightsaber, you didn't exactly have to be a surgeon. (laughs) So we do have some follow up this week as well. Um, so one of our, one of our listeners, uh, saw me complaining on Twitter again about the breakfast burger. And he basically said, I needed to get the hell over it. And we kind of went back and forth. And then he pointed out that, a sausage McMuffin is basically already a breakfast burger. It's like <laughs> virtually identical ingredients. And I, I had to concede to him. I was like, that is such a good point. I will actually mention you on the show for, for some for blowing reason. My sausage mind. is breakfast meat and any other kind of beef or patty formed meat well, for just, some reason is not breakfast. Yeah. And think about it the other way. Like, would you eat a sausage patty for lunch? No, of course not. Because you'd be like, well, that's a breakfast food. And this just, I I can't, every time I think about this, I'm like, I want so badly to like take the red pill and free my mind. And like, you can eat food any time of day. (laughs) It doesn't matter where the sun is in the sky, but I'm just, I'm still jacked into the matrix. (laughs) Uh Um, This one, you've got a, so this Konami uh, dropped, um, was it the, What's the PT stand for? I can't remember. Playable teaser. Play, oh, there you go. <laughs> That's why I couldn't remember that incredibly descriptive name. So I, I know this this got you right in the heartstrings. Yeah, well, I've still got it on my PS4, so I'm going to never delete that. Um, can you back games up from a PS4? I don't think you can. No. So what Konami did is that they went full redaction. Um, they're they're trying so hard to erase every single trace of PT ever existing, and it's it's dry sanding very hard for them because it's just more headlines and more people pointing and going, "What are you doing?" <laughs> <laughs> um, so now it's not just unavailable for new download, but uh, you know, even if you previously had downloaded and it's part of your like in, in PlayStation, they call it your download list. It's basically your purchased items right. equivalent, and. Uh, now it's even removed from there. So unless you have it already on your PlayStation, um, you it's gone. You can't even re-download it if you already grabbed it before. So I didn't remember seeing anything. Like I know that they're not going to make the full Silent Hills game. I know that uh, Kojima and uh, is Guillermo Guer, uh, <laughs> Guillermo del Toro, right? Yeah. Okay, so I know they were both really bummed that it wasn't going to happen. What could have possibly happened that you think would would warrant this kind of a reaction from Konami? Like, why are they it, making such a huge deal out of this? It's a total mystery. And for all we know, Konami's, I mean, they're kind of going full full redaction, let's say. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, for all we know, behind the scenes, Konami was the reasonable one and you know, Kojima like threw a hissy fit or, you know, I don't, I don't get the sense that Guillermo del Toro was the source of conflict in this. I get the sense that he's like, well, that would have been cool. Oh, well, 
Yeah, I mean, his that's definitely not where his career path lies. So I'm sure he was just like, meh. But <laughs> you know, even like Kojima just doesn't strike me. I mean, for one thing, he's had a really long relationship with Konami. And for another thing, he just doesn't strike me as like a prima donna who would rather scrap a project than see it to fruition particularly when you consider how freaking weird the metal gear solid games are like they obviously just let him do whatever the hell he wants (laughs) i mean metal gear solid 4 has like a 78 minute cutscene. like no no normal production company would be like yeah gamers will love that like he obviously has a lot of clout maybe I don't know. Maybe he did just push them too far, and they were just like, "No, no, dude, you're done." And some of some of the areas of Metal Gear Solid Four where you technically have control are still cutscenes. Like you're you're on yeah. the, the the vehicle that's traveling or whatever, and, and you know, Otacon or someone is talking for like half an hour, and like you can move around the cabin, but there's nothing to do. <laughs> Yeah, You're just or, listening. or you can like press uh, R2 and it does like the little zoom in to the first person. So you see that Snake is actually staring at like some woman's ass or something. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, yeah, th- it was basically a movie. And I mean, I loved it. I played it, God, two or three times when oh, it was you're stronger new, but- than me. I only went through it once and I don't think I can ever make it through it again. Oh, uh, no, there, there was, when that game was new, it was the right time in my life. Like, I just, was really hung up on that whole mythos and all the bullshit. And I like <laughs> I had downloaded the database onto my PS3 so I could like read up before the game came. And I still had no idea what the hell was going on because it's confusing as all get out. But yeah. like if that game came out now, like knowing what I know about the Metal Gear Solid universe, like if that game came out now and people were saying like, yeah, it's got a lot of super long cutscenes, I would be like, I don't, I can't block out that much time like <laughs> yeah. i would have to i would have to load the game up play a cutscene, and then basically save and quit because that would be like my 45 it's minutes like, of no gaming. game of thrones tonight honey i gotta get through a metal gear cutscene. <laughs> <laughs> which speaking of which i'm not i won't go all spoiler crazy but you uh you really took to that show huh because you caught up to me four <laughs> seasons ahead of you in like a week uh let's just say vacation was good <laughs> yeah you're in a little beach house just watching Game of Thrones. Do you at least have the windows open? Uh, we did stuff during the day, but, you know, after the my niece goes to bed, it's like, what are we going to do for the next three hours? Watch three episodes <laughs> of Game of Thrones and then two more, even though we said we were going to go to bed. Yep. <laughs> yeah, It's so good. I think you, are, I'm like in the middle of season four. Is that about where you are? Yeah, we're three episodes in. Okay, so yeah, you're you're like one one either behind me or in front of me because we're we're right near the beginning. But it's, oh, dude, it's so good. <laughs> and I saw you uh, you posted to Twitter about a particular thing that happened at the beginning of season four, and like that's how I knew where you were. And I was just like, yes, I finally <laughs> caught up to where all the web comics I'm seeing make sense, and all the memes aren't spoilery anymore. And uh, yeah, seriously. <laughs> and I love the the. The one thing I tweeted was the, you know, it was like the three different fantasy universes. So it was like Harry Potter fans are like, I want to go to Hogwarts. And Lord of the Rings fans are like, I want to go to the Shire. And the Game of Thrones fans are like, nah, I'm good. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> no one is so pure and innocent that I believe that they're safe in the George R.R. R. Martin universe. Like, And it's not that he only punishes good people. Like, he just... 
he's a real pragmatist. Like, yeah, sometimes good people die and sometimes bad people win. Sometimes bad people die and good people win. Sometimes and, everybody dies. Like, he just... And being a good warrior doesn't mean you're going to be a good ruler and you might get destroyed. <laughs> yeah, just the dude does not take sides. He's he's very, very real. And actually, I, so we were watching an episode just uh, this evening and, and I said something to Susan about, like, the way the story was written and one of the languages, like the foreign, you know, the characters from like the other side of the ocean speak. And I was like, yeah, I wonder like how authentic his, his languages are. Cause it seems pretty good. You know, it, it's, it, if it's totally fake BS, like they're at least faking it really well. Yeah. And uh, apparently uh, R.R. Martin is like a big Tolkien fan. Mm-hmm. So I, I have not had a chance to research this, but it's very possible. He actually wrote like a full language for those, you know, yeah. the, the warriors there on the other side of the ocean. Oh, I remember reading some comments that he, he was speaking directly to that. Like after Tolkien, people kind of expect you to do world building a little bit, like to, to fill out the back story of your universe. It's, I don't know. It's, I, I don't know At enough about fantasy. like, yeah, I, I don't know enough about like story writing to, to comment on it as, as an academic, but it just makes everything feel better. Like knowing that that guy in the background who's a farmer, like his farm has a name and his favorite horse has like the best saddle of his three saddles. Like that matters to me for some reason. <laughs> well, and I actually read some stuff that Martin was kind of like not worrying about it too much at first, like his map kind of getting filled in as he goes. And then as time went on, basically two different super fans got hooked up with him and are helping him like fix, or this is probably already done, but you know, fix continuity issues. And like, they would ask questions about like, what, what if this person's from there? Like, how did this fit into that? And we're, we're, you know, speaking as vaguely as possible. Oh, they did do like minor retconning to like, yeah, they like smooth over his, his sloppy world building of like, yeah, (laughs) they're from over there and this happened and. That's smart. Like he saw the value in it, so he jumped on it. That's I can respect that. And you know, harness the you know, you say something on the internet, and there's a, a hundred angry people trying to correct you on it immediately. Like harness that for improving your universe instead of yeah. If you have talented, detail oriented people who are willing to do the work just so they can say they were related in any way to the project, it's kind of stupid to turn that away. Yeah, and I mean, people like to try to compare Lord of the Rings to Game of Thrones. I get because they're both fantasy universes, but they they are very different. And like, I'm, I'm very hesitant to like say one style is better than the other. Cause Lord of the Rings is very mythic and very big, grand universal themes. And it's like, and that's because he's emulating like medieval writings and Beowulf and, you know, other like medieval history and lore and like to be like, oh, Lord of the Rings isn't realistic. They don't talk about tax policy. And I'm like, ah, you don't understand what Lord of the Rings is doing. <laughs> and it's fine that Game of Thrones wants to be a little more political drama, a little more even soap opera in a way. But oh, yeah, I would say in a big way. But then, you know, you watch an episode and you're like, oh, this is so like down to earth and everything's possible. Well, except for all that blood magic and the dragons and the ice zombies, demon and, babies, and yeah, it's just kind of like the I don't I can't speak to the books, but in the show, the way magic is 
uh, shown, they do a really good job of kind of reminding you, like, this isn't a normal thing. Like, it's it's not like everyone is fully aware that there's magic and that this is just how the world functions. Like, it, it's pretty clear that every time somebody sees something magical happen, they're like, wait, what? Well, yeah, and to the point where several characters are just actively don't believe in it, and they're they're very, very shocked when they encounter it. Yeah, which is, I mean, it, it's it's like part of it. I, I've I've heard somewhere that kind of the whole like overarching thing is that magic used to be around, but now it's like been so long that it's like fables. So it's maybe coming back, and that's like which sounds like a lot of Final Fantasy plots. <laughs> Oh yeah, I'm sure there's. If you went into a Why bookstore, so half many the fantasy monsters? novels there'd be like <laughs> magic is disappearing from the world. <laughs> but there's this one who has a special <laughs> talent for it, and no. that boy is Harry Potter. <laughs> so I, I have. I'm so excited to hear about this next thing in the follow up because I have no idea any of the context of this. <laughs> and it just says Mike lives the dream. Apple Watch at the grocery store. So, so, like, I, I'm excited for this story. <laughs> so the story is very simple. It's when you have a big list of for the grocery store, and you go with either a paper list or you have a you know an app on your smartphone where you've listed all the things you want. And so, just to take the phone example, it's actually kind of a pain in the ass to manage your list while pushing a cart around and grabbing things on your phone because your phone needs to be in your hand. And then when you're done with it, you want to put it away because you're like, I need to grab this big, you know, bottles of water or whatever it is you're buying. And, uh, and so this is going to be me gushing about how wearables, you know, this, this isn't going to make anyone be like, well, now I want to drop $300 on a smartwatch. Um, but well, I'm, I'm on pins and needles. I have the order page open right now. <laughs> but it turns out using a simple list app on your watch while at the grocery store is amazing. And it's so nice because nothing ever has to sit in your hands. You can just look at it, you can cross off items, and then your hands are still free to immediately push and grab other things. And that that little detail just fills me with glee. And I'm sure it's a novelty right now, and then it'll just be the normal state of life until I go to a grocery store without a smartwatch, and then I'm going to be angry. Um at how I've lived my entire life before <laughs> having it. And, you know, I mean, I think this product category depends on enough of these little things kind of becoming nice and convenient till they add up to, oh, yeah, I, I, I got to have this thing. And it's like, I get it that some people are going to listen to that and be like, so you have a list and it's on your wrist now and that's that like changes your entire universe. And, and I'm here to say yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, in, in fact, it does. You know, I I feel like wearables are right now where each new tech space ends up being. So, you know, with laptops, uh, well, let's see, we can even go more recent. So with tablets, every single person, myself included, said, well, it's just a big smartphone. And there are a lot of ways that I, if my phone and my tablet are exactly the same distance away, I'm it's like a a coin flip over which one I'll reach for. But as you have pointed out to me on several occasions, the iPad is like an amazing tabletop game replacement because there's a lot of really great tabletop games that work well digital. And there's a lot of great digital games that were written just, you know, for an iPad interface. Mm -hmm. So 
it's like, yeah, I could play, you know, Carcassonne or, or, uh, Settlers of Catan on my phone, but it kind of sucks. Like (laughs) it kind of sucks a lot, but on like a 10 inch screen now, okay. Now I have to maybe pan a little bit or zoom a little bit, but basically the whole interface is in front of me all the time the way it would be like if i had a board out on a table yeah and it, it's actually a pretty solid experience and uh, i was just thinking of a you know a board game like small world where there's kind of complex counting or you know um Nirashima hex is another one where there's kind of a cascading domino of attacks between different units and playing that on a real board game not only would be a pain in the ass to set up but like the mental fortitude to like work through the causality every round. Oh yeah. We just, well, that I was, just don't that was the care. way I felt about Carcassonne. <laughs> the first time I played Carcassonne was on a real, you know, board thing. And uh, I guess it's kind of not a board cause you sort of build the, the board. But anyway, it was like on a real wooden table and like at the end when we had to tally up the points, you did it like super fast cause you, you'd played it a lot before, but I was looking, I was like, oh my God, this would be so obnoxious to have to count by hand. And then, especially the, the first farms, because you're like, where do they yeah. connect? <laughs> oh, exactly. So then the first time I played it on uh, my Nexus 7, I, you know, at the end of the game, it just tallies the score because it's basically a calculator. I was like, oh, that was just tallying the score was itself satisfying (laughs) because I didn't have to do it and be all clunky. And then you always have someone who's like, no, wait. 11 points i think 12 points isn't it right like let's because these two connect and you're just like shut up the game's or not just fun anymore the, the farm that you let someone join when they sh- it, it wasn't a legal move but you didn't notice and you get to the end of the game and you're like oh shit <laughs> oh god yes that's see that's one thing i like about D is anything the dm approves counts as a legal move even if later the dm's like oh i shouldn't have done that but i did so <laughs> it's like because there's no score or anything, so just anything that God says is physically acceptable is physically acceptable. <laughs> yeah. But then, so with the you know this iPad thing, so you go back like smartphone, same kind of deal. Like, oh, it's why my phone already makes phone calls. Like, why would I need a thing where I could check my email on the go all the time? But then, like once it actually gets into your life, then you really start to feel it. And uh, I really feel like smartwatches are going through that because. The first time I used your pebble, I was like, oh, you know, it's okay. And then, like, I gave it a real, like, college try. And now <laughs> I'm, like, hooked. Like, the other day, um, it was spazzing out. Like, I'm, I'm having issues with the screen. And I couldn't check the weather. And I was like, now I have to take my phone out like yeah. an animal. And it's like, <laughs> it's in my pocket. Like, it's right in my pocket. It's not that big of a deal. And just like the minute you experience the tiniest little convenience in your life, you get addicted to it. Yeah. Well, which I'm, is probably why so many people end up like fat alcoholics who are addicted <laughs> to painkillers because you get like that tiny little like taste of sugar or, you know, that little buzz feeling. And then you're like, this is, I want to feel this way all the time. Um, I was just thinking, oh, I've seen a lot of people with the Apple Watch tweet about how they get so used to you raise your wrist and the screen comes on immediately that they're picking up their phone and kind of just expecting it to show important stuff. <laughs> Come just on, like, phone. Just like, hey, I, I interacted with you. Show me stuff. And just, I, I know you, you still have the Moto X where you kind of can do the, the magic Obi-Wan hand to, to make it come alive. 
And I just like, do you find yourself like, do you wave your hand over the iPad and go, oh, I'm an idiot. It doesn't do that. Uh, yeah, all the time, actually. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's a weird feeling because, I mean, the form factor of a full-size iPad and my Moto X could not be much more different than they are. And yet every once in a while, I'll reach out to the iPad and just kind of like swipe my hand over it. The only thing that stops me from doing that more often is it has a uh, like a smart cover. So as I'm rolling back the smart cover, then I get my glimpse of the little touch ID and I'm like, ooh, touch ID. So that like helps remind me which device I'm actually interacting with. Yeah. But I do have to lobby... Uh, or lob two complaints against uh, the Apple Watch because you know a lot of tech journalists have had theirs now for a few weeks, so they've been you know podcasting and writing articles and talking about them, and and all of that is fine. Like I'm, I love hearing more people's opinions about these devices. What I'm not okay with is we've now crossed the threshold where people are starting to name revolutionary magical features of the Apple Watch that have been on Android Wear and even on like other, like generic like the Gear yeah. Live and like Microsoft's band and stuff for like 18 months or more and that it's starting to irritate me. <laughs> the two big ones are the fact that it has a physical button like the digital crown. Yeah. Because if you had taken an Android Wear device and put in a, a big button on the side, everyone would have been like, Steve Jobs would never put a button on the side of his watch. <laughs> and now that the Apple Watch has the digital crowner, but he's like, it makes interacting with it so much better. It's so, it's just, you can scroll and zoom with it. It's amazing. And it's like, yeah, it's a dial. Like dials <laughs> are really old technology, really old technology. You know, watches like used to have them. That's how you interacted with the watch. And then the other thing is if I hear one more person talk about how cool force touch is, I might, <laughs> I might freak out a little bit because Android has had this like as long as I can remember, as long as I've had an Android product, it's had long press. And until people start working with the levels of sensitivity on the force press, all you have is normal press and hard press, which is exactly what normal press and long press gives you. It's the exact same functionality. It so saves you a half second, though. <laughs> long press really just does not take that long to activate. <laughs> I mean, it's maybe those milliseconds add up over, you know, thousands of interactions in a year or a week, depending on how much you use yeah. your device. But I just, it's bugging me that people are like, oh, it's just, it's so intuitive and I love it. And if you ask those same people six months ago, what do you think a long press on Android? They'd be like, oh, it's dumb. No one ever finds anything in there. <laughs> It definitely is is not a discoverable thing. You definitely have to learn it. Um, I will say that I I have been in an Apple store and tried out the new trackpad on the MacBooks that has the Force Touch stuff, and it is kind of. I mean, I, I'm not speaking to it its usability or, or like it doesn't change computing, but the it is kind of remarkable how much it feels like the trackpad is clicking down, and it's not. It's not physically moving at all. So the MacBook that I'm using uh, for work now actually has one of those trackpads. And I'm glad you brought this up because I have been meaning to mention this to you since I first put my hands on this trackpad. It is amazing how much it feels like it's really clicking. Yeah, Like it's mind boggling. Like when I was watching the keynote and they said, you know, Oh, it's got this little vibrator motor. And when you press down on it, it simulates a click. I was like, you mean it vibrates? 
because <laughs> that's what it's going to feel like when a vibrator motor goes off is it's going to feel like it's vibrating. And then when I, I got this, I was so blown away by the click. I was like clicking in all the corners and near the edges. And <laughs> you don't have center. to worry about the fulcrum anymore. You can just anywhere. Yeah, it, it feels exactly the same ever, until you get like millimeters away from the border of the trackpad. It feels exactly the same. And I was just like, I had to look it up. Like I actually had to look up on Apple's website and make sure that this model of MacBook had the force touch. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I'm, I am seriously impressed. I mean it uh, now to be fair, like full disclosure, sometimes I end up not releasing the mouse click when I thought I did. (laughs) So instead of clicking on something, I like click and drag and like highlight a bunch of text, but it's not so often that it's a problem and it's just going to take a tiny, tiny bit of retraining. And then when I use a normal touchpad it won't matter because all that will mean is that i lifted my finger up you know another hair so like learning to use this one better won't make me use non-force touch trackpads worse so i don't really consider that a big deal it's how did you just use it in the store you didn't get to use it for an extended period yeah it was just for like a minute yeah it's i mean i've I've been using this computer now for i guess close to three weeks and it's just it's incredible. Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna click on something right now. Way up near the corner. Oh man, oh, it feels exactly like there's a fulcrum coming from every direction. It's amazing. Uh-huh. It's so stupid, but it like there's no way that the force touch on the the watch gives that kind of sensation, does it? Um, it's not. No, it's not the same. So then, what is it doing? That's does it just vibrate when you press hard on it? Yeah, it's 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 a different feel because it's it's. Well, it's really not intended to be to be like a button. It's not supposed to feel like a button, but yeah, I don't know how to describe it. It, it vibrates <laughs> when you push hard, and then you get you know the, a sub menu level or you know whatever alternate less important action. Like if does I'm it, in the does Twitter, it vibrate the same way as if you got a notification because that would be weird. Um, it's pretty similar. So then how will your muscle memory ever learn to tell them apart? You're like, you're going to get a notification and be like, did I force press? Because in one situation, I'm pressing the screen and in another situation, (laughs) I'm doing nothing. I don't. So how how do you tell the difference? I'm still, I'm very confused. (laughs) Let's move on. Um, So this selfie arm thing, this, this entirely exists so that people can go look at these upsetting pictures, but (laughs) this is the right phrase for that. I think, I think so too. I looked into it a little more. Like it, it was done by this design shop. These, these artists were like playing in the space of where human interaction meets technology. <laughs> and basically what they did is they took the arm off of like a mannequin, like a, a department store dummy, and they put a camera mount on the back of it, like where the shoulder would meet the chest. And what that allows you to do is to hold the hand apart and then take a selfie. But in the selfie, it looks like you're holding someone's hand and they're taking a picture of you. So, which is, you know, totally the most normal thing of all time. Cause I only take pictures where I'm holding my arm out and grabbing someone's hand. Well, and that's the thing is like, if you had one or two pictures like this, and again, this is not like a real product that's for sale yet. Um, <laughs> But if you had one or two pictures like this where you were like, you know, oh, me and my spouse are dancing like in 
you know, Central Park in New York on our first vacation there, then it'd be like, okay. But if you had like dozens of pictures of you holding this person's hand, it would be like, what the hell? Why isn't this person ever Steve in Jobs? any picture? Got yeah. a, it looks like a black turtleneck <laughs> sleeve. Yeah, exactly. It's like, is, why are you not ever in the picture with the person? And why are you always holding their yeah, hand? It looks like you're like in the middle of like a, a very traditional dance and you're spinning around each other. Yeah. Which like I said, you know, one or two of those would be like really sweet and cute, but dozens of them would be weird. And then when you, you know, of course they took pictures of the woman using this thing where you can just see the disembodied arm. And it's just like terrifying. <laughs> it's really terrifying. <laughs> It's just oh god! <laughs> I want to see the. It's an art project. It's not supposed to be a serious product, but holy crap, so, is it weird looking? There's a middle photo here of like it looks like a product shot on a, just a white room with like an, an iPhone in the clamp and then the, the arm outstretched, and like I want to see the horror movie of just this phone arm going around and like strangling <laughs> people. <laughs> Yes, whoever took the last picture of themselves with it, like it goes and crawls up to them. <laughs> and the movie would just be called Selfie. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't they try and do a terrible TV show that already got canceled called Selfie? Yeah, it was a, an update of My Fair Lady or something. I can't remember. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like we even talked about it, but it was so unremarkable that we've already forgotten. <laughs> so with that, let's move on to our next topic. Yeah, we need to get off the selfie arm. The really, selfie arm needs to get off of us. Yeah, really, you do need to go look at it, though. So look in our show notes at sunriserobot.net slash flipping table slash 66 for that article. Um, so our next topic is uh, Kickstarter, and uh, mostly to, to talk about how Kickstarter is not really investing, and it's actually something else entirely. Not to knock it, because there there's totally legit things. I've backed projects. Um, I, most recently, I backed a, a revival of the game Descent, which I think we talked about a few episodes back. Um, did that make its goal? I don't think it, it did. totally did. It um, did. Yes. Oh, that's great. Um, but there, there's a story, this Observer article um, about the basically this one million dollar Kickstarter that is totally not delivered on any of its deliverables whatsoever. And yeah, so, no, none of the rewards, no updates. And so it's kind of asking the question, like, did people, you know, did they just raise a million dollars and then just run off to Vegas or, you know, some island that they bought and they're just kind of rolling in the their money bin? Um, yeah, it's just that gif of the two guys from Breaking Bad just <laughs> rolling on the money. <laughs> oh, yeah, I love that. Um, so this is, uh, first off, uh, this specific product uh, this super thin watch that looks mostly like a cuff bracelet. It's, it's like kind of ugly. <laughs> yeah, bangle. I'm I'm not super sad that this... I feel bad for the people who, who put money into it, but I'm not super sad this product doesn't exist. It's kind of ugly. <laughs> um, that aside, I feel like Kickstarter does not go out of their way to drive home the... You're not an investor. You're not buying a product. You're giving away money. Yeah. Like they don't really push that factoid super hard because they know that would scare people off. And of course they get a percentage and they want that percentage, whether the product ships or not. I mean, it would not do well for their business if it, if everyone knew like, Oh God, don't ever invest in Kickstarter projects. Cause they're see, I even said it, I called it investing. Don't ever <laughs> donate to a Kickstarter project because you know, they 90% of them are flops, but I, I mean, so I looked, I actually looked at my Kickstarter list and 
I've of every project I've ever invested in, all of them delivered except one which wasn't funded. So I got my money back. Yeah. Or I, I should say they never charged me because it wasn't funded. So out of the ones that delivered, one of the products I actually sent back because it was defective and I was like, you know what? I just, I don't feel like dealing with this. Please just issue me a normal refund if you would. Otherwise, I just, I don't want it. So actually I blogged about it on uh, linesandbeta.com. It was a crabby wallet. And uh, in the company's defense, they were super cool. Like they were like, we're really sorry. Do you want a replacement? And I was like, not really because the way it broke, it's going to just break again. Cause it was like this, it was so this wallet that had like a rubber band to hold the cards in. Yeah. And it, like the way it broke was the way you get the cards in and out. And I was like, well, I can't not use that. Like that feature <laughs> is going to see a lot of use. And I suspect the next one will fray and rip in the exact same fashion. So no, I don't want a, a replacement. I just want a refund. And they were very understanding. They were very cool. They sent me a refund right away. Um, one of the other projects I backed was supposed to be like a YouTube web series. And they, if I recall, they made it all the way through two seasons before I never heard from them again. <laughs> so, and I mean, it was a good show. Like I enjoyed it. It was, you know, a comedy show, um, about a guy who's like life starts glitching as if it were an old video game. And like, it was funny. I'm, I, it would have been nice if it had an end, but like I, gave them like five bucks and I got to enjoy like four hours of YouTube videos. So that, that I don't feel bad about that. And then everything else, I just, I either got the product or I got the song or I got the game or whatever. So like everything I've actually yeah. had tremendous success with Kickstarter or at least a lot of luck. And there is a certain class of Kickstarter projects that are really just glorified pre-orders. It's like, you know, something that's, I mean, even the, the pebble time, and I'm not saying it's a bad project or you shouldn't back it because it's, um, you already did back it, so I'm not telling you not to back it. <laughs> and it's totally a glorified pre-order. And it, it they is. even say that. Yeah, and I mean, I guess that's fine as long as you just understand that going into it. And I think, yeah, when you ordered your Pebble, you're like, yeah, they're going to make this. It's just their way of doing pre-orders. Yeah, I mean, I was fine with it, but it turns out um, Kickstarter shouldn't be fine with that. Because they say in their terms of service, you're not allowed to do that. <laughs> and uh, if you're the lawyers at Kickstarter, you're probably like, well, do we do the right thing based on our TOS or do we take our 5% of the $25 million they yeah. made? <laughs> uh, yeah, let's just go ahead and take that percentage. That'll be fine. Um, I'm going to go to lunch. And when I come back, I assume this will all be resolved. <laughs> And yeah, what do you mean? What will be resolved? What are you even talking about? <laughs> so have you, uh, have you, what's your luck been like? Have you gotten most of the stuff? Have you backed a lot of stuff? No, uh, descent is actually the only thing I've ever backed. Oh, did you even have to like create your account just to back it? Yeah. Well, no, I think I had the account cause I pondered backing some things, but it was actually so, finally feeling like I was in a position to have a little bit of spending money to toss at things like Kickstarter because it's never something I need. It's always like, oh, that's cool. Oh, yeah, it's always a game or you're an album or whatever. And And I have to say that I think games, video games in particular are an interesting thing because I've only backed uh, two games. One of them I got... And the other one I just backed today, 
and I can't. I feel bad. I'm spacing on the guy's name. What is the guy's uh, name? Ega something something. <laughs> the symphony, it's the Castlevania Symphony of the Night guy. Yes, him. So he assembled a team of people he apparently has respect for and that might be famous if I was involved in game development. And they're making basically Symphony of the Night. Igarashi. Okay. <laughs> but, I mean, I, I watched the videos for the game. Like, it, it's basically an updated, you know, uh, texture pack for symphony of the night and i'm totally cool with that because <laughs> that's like one of my, my favorite <laughs> yeah it's one of my favorite games ever so he uh i feel like he's a bit of an authority on this style of game and he's got clout in in the the gaming community he knows what it actually takes to build a game and so i was comfortable backing that but i specifically say he knows what it actually takes to build a game because kickstarter um like donation windows, I think they're always a month, right? I've never created one, so I don't know. Okay, I think it's always a month. I don't think you can mess with the the availability time, and I doubt anybody would ever dial it down. They probably always want the full month. So a lot of people probably the the month ends and they're like, cool, when can I expect my game? It's like, well, it takes time to make a game. Like we have some art assets and some music written and that's what we showed you in the Kickstarter video. But if the game was already built, we wouldn't have needed your money to pay developers. So then a lot of these games that have gotten and they did eventually come out, but it takes like six months, eight months, 12 months and people start to act like it's vaporware. And it's like, no, video games are just fucking hard. Like. They're, they're hard. That's why AAA games cost a fortune. It's not all marketing. Some of it yeah. actually goes into making the product. Um, I do want to get back to the, the, the original project that started this topic, which was nope. this... Once uh, I derail you, you're done forever. <laughs> which was this uh, million-dollar production of these bangles. And they weren't smart watches, but they, they do tell time. Are we um, going to keep calling them bangles? <laughs> yes, the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, and so they, had, you know, they had like almost eight thousand backers, over a million dollars in funding, and then um, it's we we are now at two years after when they said they would ship the watches, and you know, oh, and you you should mention the amount they were aiming for was two hundred thousand, so they <laughs> yeah. got five times what they were asking for, and still never delivered. Yeah, so they were supposed to ship March 2013, and there's just a string of updates. Because, um, and, and that's one of the things that Kickstarter, if you're not familiar, is um, you know once you back a project, the, the the creator has a way to post updates that only backers can see. It's just sort of like this little back channel of like, hey, here's how progress is going. Um, and I think actually you can make them public too, just the the progress on the project. Um, and so there's kind of just this long string of increasingly suspicious sounding um, delays to it. Just like, oh, um, we're blaming our manufacturer. Uh, or we're going to move our offices near the manufacturer. Oh, now they're going to ship in this time. Oh, there's a oh this other thing went wrong. Blah blah blah, and uh, just hilariously, if you, if you scroll down this Observer article, um, and one of the updates, uh, they they show a picture of like a, a van that they claim is parked right next to the manufacturer, and that the one of the creators is supposedly living in this van, trying to get this thing produced, and it seems legit. <laughs> And it's starting to just feel like, or you made a million bucks, and there are there are no legal ties to that money to that force you to deliver. 
and you're just for fun posting updates. Yeah, I mean, it feels like so. Let's look at this from from one angle, which is they're being completely honest, and it really is manufacturers' delays, material problems, uh, you know, technology issues, software problems. Let, let's pretend all of that's completely true. Aren't they kind of beholden to communicate that in the most transparent way possible instead of like, here's the picture of a back of a Ford van (laughs) like that doesn't really instill a lot of confidence in me. Here's a video of me rolling up my sleeves to work hard today (laughs) in slow motion. This is definitely not stock photography, (laughs) but I mean, this is like this list of updates is just the last time it was updated was, I mean, for this article, was April 17th, uh, 2015, announced they're out of money and can't continue production. So from January 8th, 2013 to April 17th, 2015, uh, 28 months, it took them to spend a million dollars and not deliver the product which is they 30 claimed they could deliver with Two hundred thousand dollars. That's thirty six grand a month, just about. Jesus, I mean, and see, here's the thing. This is why I think if they were being legitimate, being as transparent as possible would have actually been the right way to go. Because I don't really know anything about building a company around a hardware product and getting manufacturers and vendors and distributors. And like, I, I know nothing about that. So if I back this project, I'm just like, Oh, Hey, I, that is a cool thing that I would like to own. I'm going to back it at the level where I would get one shipped because I, okay. So this is something we didn't really explicitly say about Kickstarter, but Kickstarter, um, by culture and also by, by original design is you can donate money to a project just because like, you like it, but not at a, a level that's high enough that the person running the project will give you anything. Yeah. So like, uh, I've backed a couple of projects where I was like, I don't really want any of the rewards. I just want to support this project. So like, here's a buck, here's two bucks. You know, um, one of my, uh, uh one of my friends got involved with a skateboard company, but I really didn't want to buy a new skateboard. So they're one of their levels. Like you got a bunch of stickers. So I backed at the sticker level and like, and I got a bunch of stickers in the mail and, but it was like, I just, I just want to support this project. Like in that sense, it is very much a donation. Like I'm not buying anything. I'm not investing. I don't expect any return. I'm just trying to support what you're doing. And, uh, I don't think with a, a hardware product, you see that many people supporting like that. You know, if it's like a band or a filmmaker, you like, yeah, maybe you'll throw them like a dollar or two and then you'll just pay for the thing when it comes out. But if it's a hardware product and the hardware product is going to sell for three, four, five hundred dollars when it's in stores, you're going to back at the two hundred dollar level so that you can get like a pre-release one. Yeah. So, I mean, you're putting a lot of money out there. Like in these people's minds, they were buying a product like they weren't investing in a company. They weren't donating like they damn well expected to get one of these bangles. Yeah. But I mean, that's the thing with Kickstarter is you're handing money to someone who says, I'm going to come back someday and, and hand you a insert product name. And then you watch them leave the room and then it's just faith that they are going to show up. And I mean, by and large, 
people do. Kickstarter, you know, the the whole idea of Kickstarter would fail if it was a common thing for the the projects not to deliver on what they said because people would stop giving money to other people. And well, that, that's where Kickstarter... I, so I'm, I'm going to split hairs here. Do you think it's a common thing that most people deliver or do you think it's a common thing that the projects that obviously won't deliver don't get funded? That, because I mean, I'm sure that helps. One guy did claim he had plans for a... a uh, what do, you, what do you call it? A universal motion machine or a, a perpetual motion motion machine. So he, he claimed I'll, I'll try and find it. And if I can find it, I'll throw it in the show notes, but he just like the video is like a comedy. Like this guy is just so serious. And he's like, yeah, uh, you know, you can harness the rotation of the earth and it, you know, <laughs> creates this movement. Is and he then the time it, cube guy or whatever. <laughs> I don't think it was called Time Cube. No, have you ever seen the Time Cube website? No. <laughs> is oh. this? Do I want to know what this is? Um, well, the website's freaking out, so maybe you don't. <laughs> just uh, look it up on Wikipedia at some point. It's just a crazy website with like this guy full of insane theories, and it just reminded me of like, oh, he might have said he could create a. Um, oh like, yeah, a perpetual his DNS is freaking out. See, you can't trust someone who can't even maintain their own website. Also, centered paragraphs. Get out of here. Um, <laughs> You're not wrong. <laughs> so, but I mean, do you think that's part of it? Is just the good because good Kickstarter projects all look the same. Like, yeah, they all structure themselves in basically the same way. You and have, have to make, make a video. You have to have some graphic design. And- yeah. So if you go to a Kickstarter project and it doesn't look like that, that's like a huge red flag. It's like if you normally buy sandwiches from a sub shop and then there's a guy standing next to a dumpster selling one, you're like, sandwiches aren't normally sold next to dumpsters. Maybe I should not invest in this sandwich. Yeah. But I should not donate to the sandwich shop. But even so, there's still an element of faith on even the good projects that the guy's going to come back with, you know, from the back of the warehouse of Kickstarter Industries and and hand you the thing, the the reward you you paid for. And Oh, absolutely. You're still just going on faith. Yeah. And I mean, that's Kickstarter needs to maintain that good faith. So, um this giant high-profile million dollar not delivering thing um has to eat at them cuz they're like this can't become a general story. Like this can't keep happening. Um, or else, you know, our reputation will be destroyed and people will go elsewhere. And I wanted to bring up cause, uh, you know, a little plug for the bits and pieces podcast, which you should all go listen to. Um, cause Matt Duncan has been talking recently about his Patreon model, which is a little different than Kickstarter, even though it's, it's also a direct support, um, you know, internet crowdfunding kind of thing. Um, but his whole new music business model, which I'm really excited to see how this pans out over time is, uh, that people can pay per product. And so he, he his deal is my music will always be free. So if you just want to listen to my music, you don't have to do anything, whatever. It'll be on Bandcamp. You can listen to it. Um, but you can pledge per release. And so you can be like, you know what? I'll give you five bucks a song because I, I love what you do and I want you to have an incentive to regularly produce things. And, you know... Obviously, if he started just like fake publishing not real songs, I would pull my support Um, (laughs) because I'd be like, this isn't really, you're not really doing that. Um, But I I think it's a nice model for at least for like the arts where it's like, 
oh yeah, I would love to, you know, see you producing a new song every month. And uh, instead of like, I have this idea for a grand project, let's fund it. It's more kind of just a, an ongoing tip jar that, you know, I, I chip into. Well, I think uh, Patreon actually has a good way to handle these kinds of transactions because you can set a a ceiling on how much you're willing to donate. So if, you know, Matt uh, takes some time off work and he just decides he's going to do nothing but write songs all day and night and he churns out 20 in a month, you're not necessarily going to have to pay for all those because it's like, well, I only can donate up to you know, $20 in one month. So if I pledge $5 per song, then after you hit 20, you don't get any more money from me. Cause I just, I can't, yeah. you know, I can't just sign my paycheck over to you. So it's like, you know, the artist is incentivized to do more work if they want to make more money. And then the patrons are incentivized and, and kind of given the ability to only donate as much as they're comfortable with, whether it's per item or, you know, a set limit yeah. each month. And it, it means a business model like what he's, he's testing out can actually work because both sides of the equation have control over what matters yeah. to them. Matt it's can control like, how much he turns out. The patrons can control how much they donate. Yeah, it's not like you, you're pledging money for some race for the cure and then you realize, you, you know, you're giving a dollar a mile and it's like, oh, wait, I'm backing Forrest Gump. This is going to go poorly. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I've noticed because for a, a while in my my younger days, I uh, I did a lot of uh, like charity foot races and adventure races they call them, where you like climb over crap and have to like swim through little man made lakes and stuff, and and they're really fun, but they've started to get kind of shady with how they ask you to give money because they're all always attached to a charity. And whether or not any of these races give a respectable portion of their money to a charity is up for debate. Some of them are good. Some of them are bad. But but I've noticed like in response to all these really clear business models, like what Matt's trying to do, like, hey, I'm, I'll make a thing and you can give me some money when I make a thing. If I don't make a thing, I won't get any money. Like that's really clear and everyone understands what's happening. And then like some of these events like where it's you don't get a tangible thing you like participate. Yeah. So it, it's harder to say like whether or not participation occurred and then they get kind of like fuzzy on how they expect you to pay and how much they expect you to pay and it's it's not good. Like it's it's kind of shady. So it's almost yeah. like the universe is trying to balance itself out. They're like, "Well, all this honesty is happening. We have to come up with a bunch of lies and bullshit." Yep. So there are a sad, there's sadly, there are so many perpetual motion machines on Kickstarter. I actually can't find <laughs> the one that I'm thinking of. It's just like drowning in perpetual motion <laughs> machines. This guy actually put a lot of effort into his paragraphs of uh, physics textbook, Lorem Ipsum. <laughs> there's just a lot of abbreviations and use of the word turbine and magnets and I mean I'm not a scientist but even I can look at this and just be like nope <laughs> that's not a thing <laughs> yeah it's cool that you spent some time in rhino making this 3d render but nope <laughs> he got he got he had 12 backers at the time his project closed guess how much money go on guess 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 um 117 dollars 
shockingly close. <laughs> he had a hundred and twenty eight dollars. <laughs> <laughs> he wanted ten grand uh, to run to the hills with. Um, so, and here here's the thing about Kickstarter because Kickstarter's fairly transparent. So they actually, um, when you see like, oh, this person created this project, you can see other projects that that account is backed and then other projects that they have created. So if I look at the, the account of Robert, I'm going to pray that I'm going to pray that that's pounds Bonner, but I'm pretty sure it's Boner. Um, he also, he also had a project of, uh, bacon portraits okay and he wanted to raise ten dollars he raised 38 dollars oh this one's still live oh my god you could back bacon portraits right now mike (laughs) yep you read that right have a picture of your favorite piece of bacon i'll digitally paint it frame it and ship it to you okay it seems like he should be on fiverr yeah this is way more of a fiverr thing I've totally Even a found Patreon this. thing because Kickstarter, the whole point of Kickstarter is I want to launch a company around such and such a product. So back me and then I can form the company around that single product. Like that is the function of Kickstarter and people use it for albums and movies and, and all kinds of other crap, but that's not actually what it's for. Like if you read their terms of service, they're very clear that it has to be a product digital or physical that doesn't exist that you are getting money together so that you can make exist that you could not otherwise make exist on your own. Like that's the function of Kickstarter. Yeah. It's supposed to be like, that is such a good idea. Can we just come together and make this happen? Yeah. I mean, that's how the original pebble happened. Um, I think one of the most successful Kickstarter projects ever was like a beach cooler that was like highly functional and it had a stereo built in and, I mean, it, yeah. you know, big rolly wheels for the sand, like nothing amazing, but it was like a thing a lot of people wanted. And this guy had a design, so he got backers, he made the thing, he shipped the thing, people were happy with the thing. Like that's yeah. that's what it's supposed to be for. Yep. Even uh, the, the game Symphony of the Not Night, definitely not infringing on any Konami <laughs> trademarks uh, that I backed earlier today, it's... It's a digital project, but I mean, I don't think he has his own game studio or anything. So it's not like he's just asking me to give money to his company to pre-order this game. This is a game that without backers would otherwise not exist because he can't personally just pay (laughs) artists and musicians and programmers and story writers. Like he needs money up front to pay those people. Yeah, I do. I love you calling out the title because this game is you know, tentatively titled Bloodstained Ritual of the Night. Sorry, it's Bloodstained colon Ritual of the Night, which I don't know when they started adding all this damn punctuation to game titles. Yeah, doesn't zero punctuation make fun of it, which is perfect for his title. Yeah, yeah, I think he (laughs) pronounces the colon. (laughs) (laughs) So so it's like Call of Duty, (laughs) Modern Warfare. (laughs) Well, he's living up to his title. He's not going to... Yeah, that's absolutely right. Um, So that's... I don't know. I I think we've we've zeroed in on what makes Kickstarter good and bad. This this thing with the watch, 
I, I got to ask your closing thoughts, uh, Jerry Springer style. <laughs> if you saw this product, not judging it on whether or not you like it, but does this seem feasible? Because this 3D render is so wafer thin that there's no, to me, just looking at this, I'm like, where are the electronics? Yeah. Because if you're if you're claiming that you're building a device that's thinner than anything Apple makes, which is a company violently obsessed with thinness, I'm going to need to see some credentials. Yeah, not only violently obsessed with thinness, but spends most of their life thinking about manufacturing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they switch manufacturers only when it's because they can make something thinner and lighter and cheaper. Like <laughs> yeah. that's there they have a very weird alliance with Samsung because Samsung makes a lot of their guts and screens and and I mean kind of the whole product. And we can this can be unpacked in a different episode when there's a, a good time. But the the way they like they'll pay startup costs for a factory like if they have to design new equipment and then say you can use this to make everyone's products, but just give us a special rate because we provided the capital to start this factory. And right. now we get a better deal. So, you know, until five years from now when finally everyone's caught up with the new super thin wafer thing piece. Um, that's like yeah. part of their competitive strategy to have insane margins other than getting to charge more because they're Apple. It actually says right in this article that this watch was supposed to be 0.8 millimeters thick. Point <laughs> eight. Millimeters thick, <laughs> less than a single millimeter thick. So I'm going to use some Google foo here. So thickness of a piece of paper, a piece of paper is 0.1 millimeters thick. <laughs> so they were claiming just if you happen so to have a printer in your house or go find a book and put eight pieces of paper together and they were claiming they were going to make a watch that thin. Yeah. So 0.8 millimeters thin their marketing materials would say i'm sure that they did but that i mean even if you're not an engineer wouldn't you look at that and be like wow that's mighty thin and i mean clearly they had 7500 people convinced that they could actually accomplish this and i'm not trying to disparage the people who backed it i mean obviously they were optimistic that this was actually doable but <laughs> If it is doable, these weren't the people to do it. Yeah. So we had a whole bunch more topics in our show notes in our in our rundown, and we're going to have to punt on almost all of them because we're we're over an hour. Um, but there is one thing I definitely want to talk about, and it, you know, if you have one, that's fine too. Um, but this, there's a, a video of you know gamers are always trying to outdo each other, create some new amazing feat of accomplishment, and uh, one gamer rigged up Mega Man X one and two and and attached a controller that was controlling both games simultaneously and he beat both games at the same time just played through the entire game and i just i don't even know where to begin how how (laughs) yeah this is uh this is one of those things that you can't True. It's it's like if you had previously been blind and people tried to describe a sunset to you you just, you didn't really know. You thought you understood, but, and it's, I mean, the video's long because it's a full playthrough. It's, it's, it's like 
two hours and 45 minutes long. Yeah. It's, it's really freaking long. So set, pop some popcorn, you know, be late to work or whatever you got to do, but it is actually worth watching. And if you can't watch the whole thing, you have to at least watch the final boss fight because how this person even figured out, I can't even beat Mega Man (laughs) X anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Even with four sub tanks, <laughs> not Sigma. I don't, I don't know. I'm just not good at him. Yeah, I mean it's hard. It's it's a it's not like an ultra crazy hard game, but it's hard enough. And the thing that blew my mind about just watching the last boss fight is the way he makes it through certain levels is by like pinning one of the X's into an impossible corner, and then playing through a difficult part you know, in the other game and then freeing X from like the impossible corner and then moving them simultaneously again. But he doesn't do that that much. Most of the time he's just honest to God, moving them at the same time, (laughs) making incremental progress, you know, by like syncing them up and fighting enemies on one and then fighting enemies on the other. And and then sometimes there's enemies on both. That's good for the spirit of these kinds of playthroughs. Cause yeah, I I imagine there's a way you could pin X forever in one game and then beat the other game and then come back and beat the first game. And everyone would be like, ha ha, you're technically lived up to what you said you did, but that was stupid. Yeah. No, this guy, not only did he go out of his way to sync the two of them up, he actually made sure through what looked like forcing himself to take a lot of unnecessary damage during the last boss fight, he forced himself to make the two bosses explode at the same time. (laughs) So it's like, he, cause you know, there's like one game has more dialogue than the other. So he had to control when he started and stop dialogue with the final boss. Like it's, it's freaking ridiculous. And, and and the, Oh, go ahead. Oh, and lest you think like, you know, this wasn't amazing enough. He also collects every upgrade through the games. Yes. Every, all the armor upgrades, all the, um, the sub tanks. Yes. No, he didn't. He completionist completed <laughs> both of these games at the same time. I'm saying he, the username is aura puffs. I actually don't know if it's a, a man or yeah, woman. This article uses he, but they may just be being dumb assumers as well yeah stupid english (laughs) we have the gender neutral pronoun they but no one ever uses it so i try to use it and then people are like but it's just one person and i'm like but i'm trying to be thoughtful in my use of language yeah but this is i'm i'm what i have it playing right now i'm watching the the beginning of the last boss fight and it's just I I wonder, did he plan this all out? Did they plan this all out? Or were they just playing through these games so much that they were like, yeah, you know what? I bet I could do it. <laughs> and just like, go for it. I don't know. It seems like this would take some real dedication. Serious planning, right? Like you would have to plan out which order you're going to do the levels in. And like I noticed during the last boss fight, the the two pause screen menus like where you select sub tanks and items thankfully are configured differently and what that means is you can uh force the menu to jump to a different spot because you have two different length menus so like 
every time he needs to change a weapon on one, but not on the other, he has to like flip through and make it so that they sync up. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Like it's like solving a Rubik's cube every time you need to change weapons. Yeah, it really is. It's like, Hey, that was really cool. Thanks for that YouTube video. Can you go like figure out terraforming on Mars now? Since problem solving is apparently right in your wheelhouse. <laughs> Oh man, this is crazy. I'm wa- I just watched this this afternoon. I'm watching it again and I'm still just totally blown away. And what really bugs me about this is someone who has died fighting Sigma just so many times is he appears to do this in one take. Like <laughs> it's not like he died a bunch of times fighting Sigma. He kills Sigma and Sigma Jr. in the second one, <laughs> like in one try. And that makes me feel like I'm not a very qualified platformer. Yeah. Uh, it's amazing. Yeah. It's really satisfying to watch them blow up at the exact same time. Yeah, that's why you should definitely look at our show notes and uh, watch this video. And uh, I think that'll do it for episode 66 of Flipping Tables. I think that's a good place to put a bow on it. So if if you want to find the show notes for this this fine episode of ours and watch this crazy Mega Man X, X2 playthrough, you can uh, go to sunriserobot.net slash flipping tables slash 66 for this episode. And uh, Mike and I both love feedback. We try and uh, have follow-up at the top of every show as long as it's interesting. And uh, you can find me on Twitter at Lines in Beta, and you can find Mike at Medwards Music. One day, my friend. Um, if you are still listening to the show in your web browser, that's cool. But if you want to make your life even easier, you can actually subscribe. Um, pretty much every iPhone comes with the podcast app uh, built in. And you can also use, what do you still use? Overcast.fm, right? Yep. It's a great app. It's free. Use it. Yep. Pocket Cast, free on iOS and Android. Uh, that's the one I use. It's great. And that way you get new episodes delivered to you every week for freezies. Uh, if you want to support us a little bit more directly than that, you can actually check out our Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash sunrise robot. And if you back us, support us, patronize us at a high enough level, you become one of our super mega ultra X one X two simultaneously <laughs> backers. And, uh, you might get a little shout out at the end of an episode. So we want to thank Bruce Edwards, Matt Mariner, Sean Byrne, and Andreas Longa. Um, you're our super diamond ultra mega backers this week. <laughs> and we love all of you very much. Without you guys, we could not keep the show going. Yes. Thank you very much. And uh, we will see you next week. 